Welcome to the Truth Expedition. I'm your host, Mark Bischofsky, and you have tuned into the program where we are going to dig for truth in this insane clown show of a world where the fact checkers lie and the government and the media propagandize you and me, the citizens of this amazing, this glorious, this incredible world we get to live in. For reference, it is October 10th, 2023, and today is an epic day for me. This is going to be probably the most epic Truth Expedition so far. We're going to have James Corbett, on the program. If you don't know who James is, you can find his work at CorbettReport.com. I'll give a more proper introduction to who James is once he lands in the green or once he lands here virtually and we start the interview. But I'm I'm you know blessed for another reason today. I have a co-host again today, a brand new co-host, and my co-host today is Gunnar Ballstead, who's a lawyer and a, a religious academic and actually is an author who has a book coming out next year that compares Abrahamic eschatology with geopolitical events. So Gunnar, thanks so much for joining me on this edition of The Truth Expedition in these crazy and confusing times. Thanks, Mark. We're so excited to be here and to introduce the one and only James Corbett, who has been a powerhouse in the propaganda war. He pioneered open source intelligence and uses that platform to spread messages of truth and peace. James is responsible for warning and informing millions of people around the world about the nefarious nature of government activity and the evils of corporations. We are honored and thrilled to have James Corbett here with us tonight. Yeah, I can't wait. It's actually, uh, last week was kind of a bucket list for me, for the viewers out there. Max Egan, if you didn't see that show, please do watch that. But James, you know, James is uh, my my trusted source for news. I, I watch everything he puts out and with what has happened, with with Israel, you know this recent this past weekend, there there isn't anybody I feel would be more appropriate to talk to in these crazy times. So, as we do, we wait for we're going to wait now for James to land virtually here, and we are going to get on to the interview segment of the Truth Expedition. Thanks for tuning in. We are back with the interview segment of the truth expedition and oh my like i said bucket list interview for me james corbett is our guest this evening and james is the curator of corbettreport.com which is my preferred destination for open source intelligence news the corbett report is a listener supported independent news source and james is an award-winning investigative journalist who who lectures on geopolitics and his approach on open source journalism. And he is the king of footnotes and citations that will lead you down the rabbit hole of truth. James started the Corbett Report in 2007 as an outlet for independent critical analysis of politics, society, history, and economics. He gave a TED Talk in 2014, which has since been censored, which tells you just how close he is to the target. And I believe, I truly believe, the Corbett Report is the most valuable thorough and relevant news source in the entire world. And I would urge all of the viewers to dig in at CorbettReport.com. It's Corbett with two T's, CorbettReport.com. And there are no words to describe the honor that it is to have James here with us right now to discuss geopolitics. Thanks so much, James, for joining us. 
I appreciate that intro, and I especially appreciate the word curator, because for many years I've been trying to think of what my title is or how I should describe myself. That is not a word that's occurred to me yet, but I may steal that in the future. I'm not sure. <laughs> Please do, James. That would be an honor. You are the curator. And uh, like I said, I've been watching you for a long time, and I think I'm going to jump right in with... Uh, so, James, I, I'm a respiratory therapist who early, you know, I, I started fighting the scamdemic early on... To, doctors, this, that, and the other, became an activist, holding rallies, and then I was foolish enough to run for office. And um, the story is, you know, the Uniparty fought me. My own party, the Republican Party, fought me once they realized that, no, I was going to be a voice for the people, I was going to rattle the cage, I was going to call it corruption on both sides. And I guess, so my question is, do you think that good people can get in as legislature, in the, into the legislature, and change things from the inside. And furthermore, do you feel like it's even worth voting? Are our elections completely selections? Is it worth voting, especially at a federal level? Well, I am an anarchist, so I have a particularly unpopular opinion that not only is it not going to be effective to get, go out there and try to vote your way out of enslavement, which has never worked throughout history and never will, but that it is actually immoral to engage in such a process, and that there is no magical incantation, ritual, paper counting, or anything else that will validate a moral uh, impossibility, which is to say that I cannot confer on anyone else any rights that I do not myself have. So if I come along and take your money and say, don't worry, guys, I'm going to use your money for good purposes, that would be theft. Everyone would understand it to be theft. I would be put in jail for doing so. But if somebody with the right shiny hat or badge or with a particular title after their name uh, comes along and, and does the exact same thing in the name of collecting taxes, well, that's perfectly fine and all right, because some, some portion of the population, 50% plus one, maybe, voted for someone to come in and become some sort of dictator that could write down whatever they want and it becomes laws and special um, uh, rights are granted to agents of the state. I think that whole system is top to bottom, complete baloney. But let me just put on my statist cap for a moment and pretend as if there was no moral qualms whatsoever with this entire process. Even so, it is the height of naivete, as I say, to, to imagine that you are going to vote yourself to freedom. That is not what the system is for. And as many people, even anarchists have observed, if voting changed anything, they would make it illegal. And the worst part is they can openly write about this in their own publications and laugh at the public's stupidity and the public will continue to believe in this system. Case in point, sitting on the bookshelf behind me, uh, Tragedy and Hope by Carol Quigley, in which he said that the whole left-right Republican-Democrat two-party illusion system that is uh, in place in the United States is designed spe specifically so that the public can throw the bums out every four or eight years. And the agenda, which is a united agenda that uh, both sides of the phony left-right paradigm are in lockstep with, will continue along as if nothing ever happened. They just change out presidents like the, uh, the birdcage liner every few years, 
and people pretend it's a clean slate and now we can do some oh wait it turned out to be the exact same thing oh if only trump had been president during the scandemic oh wait he was oh well if only we could get i don't know biden in <laughs> oh wait that'll so solve absolutely nothing it is a fake rigged system that is designed to keep you in a perpetual state of waiting for the next selection process and it will change nothing with regard to the greater agenda wow so yeah i i can't agree more and that's why i started it with i was foolish enough to run for office and i do declare i'm an anarcho-capitalist too although i don't believe the world is is ready for that right now i don't know what the you know so what what do we do i mean do you think do you think bobby kennedy i mean what what, what are your thoughts on bobby as an independent do you think there's some hope there mm, yeah let, let's call Bobby on the line and see what he th thinks about what's going on in Israel right now. Uh, is he going to continue on with uh, his uncle's uh, mission to to end the military-industrial complex running of the United States and to break the CIA into a thousand pieces and all of that? Oh, wait, no, he's 100%. We must stand behind Israel and send them even more money. Um, uh, again, uh, false savior. He's not going to change the system fundamentally. Yeah, it's so unfortunate, and I know nobody's got the the answers. We have to wait and see what happens. But I I did want you to go over and I, and again I'm I'm gonna put in the show notes the link to your most recent uh, post on CorbettReport.com about World Health Organization their their pandemic treaty and them them subverting their rules and what the consequences are with what what is the rush to get this done by may the they they don't want to have these rules for their amendments and and i know you went into it much deeper uh, and please have all the viewers go to corporate report and, and watch the whole show but uh do you th feel like that's predictive of they're they're rushing this because they've got plans for us with another pandemic or something one has to assume so. I can only speculate, and I think it is related to the larger speculation about why so much of the globalist agenda is tied to 2030 right now. Is there some sort of timetable that these people are working on that has some special meaning or significance? Again, I can only speculate. I don't have the answer to that, but it does certainly seem like they are rushing. And I think part of that is desperation um, because I think they have received more attention and pushback on this particular aspect of the overall Great Reset Agenda, specifically the World Health Organization, the Pandemic Treaty, so-called, the CA+, as they're calling it, and the amendments to the international health regulations, which are simultaneously going on. It's two separate processes that are kind of related that may end up merging in the World Health Assembly in May of 2024. Anyway, I've spoken about this at length in several podcasts, so people please search for WHO and Pandemic Treaty on my site and you'll get some of this background. But as you say, the latest shenanigans took place during the working group for the IHR amendments, the International Health Regulation Amendments, which... Um, under the actual text of the International Health Regulations, as it stands, Article 55 of the International Health Regulations stipulates that any amendments to those regulations must be submitted in writing in four months in advance of the World Health Assembly where those amendments are going to be voted on. So because they want to push this in the May 2024 77th World Health Assembly, which, by the way, is the 75th anniversary of the WHO, um, that means that they are legally obligated, they are required under the terms of the IHR itself to submit those the text of the, the amendments um, to the member states in January 2024. 
But the working group came came out and said, oh, you know, we just we, there's so much work to do and to get the negotiate all of these different amendments. We'll we'll never get it done by January. Can can we pretty please have an extension, like say up until oh May of next year? And wouldn't you know it, the World Health Organization legal counsel said, well, you know what, you know, legalese this, legalese that. Yeah, okay, I think we can, uh, this, this is unprecedented. So yeah, you guys can basically work up until the, 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 the eve of the World Health Assembly and then just spring it on the world and it'll be gaveled down. Uh, the process by which these amendments uh, will be passed uh, won't even involve a vote per se, it will be, anyone got any objections? No? Okay, passed. That, at least that is how it has been done in the past. So um, I assume we're going to see a, a similar spectacle in May of 2024. And the fact that they don't even want the public to have a chance to potentially, maybe, if they were truly interested, to find a way to dig through and, and see these amendments, even a month in advance, let alone four months in advance, like they're legally obligated, should be very concerning to anyone who's paying attention. But as I stressed in that most recent interview um, that you're referring to there, unfortunately, most people are not paying attention to this. And I find even people in my own audience, even after an hour plus of us going through the problems with this process and what's going on and the dire consequences of this, I still have people in my own audience saying, I don't get it. Can you simplify? Can you dumb this down? I don't get what's happening. What 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 are we supposed to be concerned about? So, you know, it really does feel like dashing your brains out against a brick wall at times. And the fact that the public just does not care, couldn't care less about what is being done with regards to this digital enslavement grid that is being erected around them and that is going to feature vaccine passports and digital ID as the very linchpin of this global Great Reset agenda. Um, the fact that people don't aren't even aware of it, let alone absolutely outraged about it, speaks to just how thoroughly the public has been dumbed down and placated over the years. No doubt about it. I mean, the sheep out there, it's that's what I witness every day. Just nobody's paying attention. Nobody's paying attention to what's happening in this world, and it scares the hell out of me. And what kind of future will my kids have? But I'm going to let Gunnar ask a question here. James, I wanted to bring it back to RFK and his candidacy. It seems that he does have some type of groundswell with the population, but as you pointed out, he does seem to have a contradiction with his positions on the Israeli-Palestine conflict. Um, what do you think is you know, really behind that um, political position? And importantly, how do we maintain a secular state given these geopolitical events? I, I can't see into the hearts and minds of men, so I can only speculate from the outside. Certainly, one could make the argument that because specifically RFK Jr. has been so thoroughly attacked and demonized over his position, his very right position, his good position on the not just no, but hell no to vaccine mandates, um, uh, uh, specifically on the context of, oh, but he compared you know, vaccine passports to Nazi Germany. And he, he made some statement about uh, a racial bioweapon. And of course, people have twisted this and he was attacked by the ADL and others, anti-Semitic, this and that. So one could say that he's just going out of his way, twisting double pretzel knots in order to 
placate and, and to genuflect to the, the, Israel, the state of Israel in order to, hey guys, don't worry, I'm not anti-Semitic. I'll be more pro-Israel than anyone um, as a political maneuver, essentially, to head off the, that inevitable anti-Semitic criticism that is labeled at anyone who goes against any aspect of this agenda, um, whether or not it bears any relation to reality. Maybe, maybe that is just a political ploy, but I, I, everything I've ever seen from him has indicated that this isn't just a political ploy, that RFK Jr. truly does absolutely 100% support the U.S. Um, continuing to involve itself in direct contradiction to the principles set out by the Founding Fathers in entangling alliances overseas. What the hell does the United States have to do with conflicts, generational millennium-long conflicts that are taking place halfway around the globe. What is the U.S. role in that? And why should it be spending billions upon billions of dollars per year to this other country halfway around the world so that it can defend itself? Um, again, what is the point of this? And why is this happening? Uh, again, ask RFK Jr. that. Um, don't ask me. Um, but as I say, uh, I, I think Bobby Kennedy has done some incredibly important work. And I interviewed him about the real Anthony Fauci. I think it was a... It is an excellent book, incredibly well-researched, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of footnotes for further research. He has done his homework, and I would love to see him in some debates with people like Peter Hotez, who would never debate him in a million years because they know that he would run circles around them. That is the utility of someone like Bobby Kennedy. But getting excited about someone running for office, um, sorry, that's just not in my blood. Sure. Um Again, how do we maintain a secular state? Um, I know that it must be done then outside of the political process, but how do we agitate from the side to stop these religious wars? Well, uh, how do we agitate to stop wars that are taking place halfway around the world? Seems to me like it is potentially just the wrong, the wrong way of framing the question because it implies that there is some role for the average American to do anything in particular about what is taking place halfway around the world. And I understand why that exists. And certainly, given the infrastructure of the world security state that has been erected, the global Pax Americana that came, came into view um, post-World War II, and the way the world has run, been run, essentially, for the past 75-plus years, I understand why that is, whether one likes it or not, that is, to some extent, the reality. Your taxpayer dollars are going um, directly and indirectly and through just the building up of the U.S. military, let alone other nations' militaries, towards the funding of the, the perpetual war state. But what, what, what is the average American's role in this? I, I, as a Canadian in Japan, what is the average Canadian in Japan's role in all of this? And what can we do about this? The fact that we are sitting here thinking about what we are our responsibility for something that's taking place halfway around the world is part of the problem. And I think we have to get ourselves out of that mindset. Um, uh, the, so uh, with regards to secular, secularization of the state, again, implies that there is a role for the state in any of this. But I, I, and I, I agree, unfortunately, with Mark, Mark said earlier that uh, we're not really ready for anarchism yet. Uh, I think if I, as I've said before, if I had this, the switch to flip to from statism to anarchism immediately and overnight, I wouldn't flip it because I know that would be mass chaos and violence and uh, hurt for a lot of people. But 
Having said that, I can't think of a way to conceptualize this from within the framework of nation states themselves and the state and what should the state be doing and how should we be influencing what the state is doing. All of that is wrong. And all I know is taxpayer dollars are being sent to fuel and uh, arm and perpetuate this type of conflict, um, which would not be possible if those taxpayer dollars weren't being paid in the first place. So. Uh, there's perhaps the first level, and it, it's it's always the question, okay, just don't pay your taxes, and then just wait for the, the <laughs> men in blue to show up at your door and forcibly remove you from your home and lock you in a cage, and if you resist, you will be killed. So I know that's not a position that people should take lightly, but in terms of what else can you actually do as an individual to affect this, I, I'm open to suggestions. Yeah, no doubt about it. What? So I've asked some people, you know, I think the U.S. Send, sends four or five billion a year to Israel in, in support. What do you think would happen if, if the United States just stopped their support of Israel? And would that be a bad thing, a good thing? I mean, would, would it just create chaos in the Middle East? What, what are your thoughts on that? To listen to the lobbyists and agents of Israel in America, that would be essentially equivalent to another Holocaust, because apparently the state of Israel couldn't simply could not exist without those billions upon billions of dollars in direct aid every single year, which does beg the question of how and when and why this state arose and how it expects to continue functioning as a state if it directly relies on this billions of dollars of aid and could not exist without it. That that must speak to something. I think that's a bit of a, a, a red herring, a charade anyway. I don't think that that is the case. But anyway, that is the way that it is framed. And um, so uh, I, I don't... Uh, it. it it, it, from any outside perspective, if someone, if some alien descended to Earth and looked at the situation, uh, I, I don't see how you would make the case that this billions of dollars of aid from America to Israel makes any sort of strategic sense on the part of the United States. What is, what is this really about? Well, it doesn't seem to be about American interests at any rate. Um, uh, so puzzle me that and how did this situation arise and maybe it has something to do with those israeli lobbyists and agents that are so loud and so vociferous in the united states and can so thoroughly and completely tarnish someone's reputation by simply branding them with that anti-semitic slur james what do you think is going to happen with this al-aqsa flood operation that recently occurred do you think that was an organic t intelligence failure on this on the behalf of israel um, what do you think is going to happen with the siege of Gaza? Um, I'll leave it at that for now. Well, people are already calling this potentially Israel's 9-11. All right, well, let's, let's go with that. Because I think when people in the mainstream media are referring to it as that, they are talking about the official story of 9-11 and, oh my God, this surprise attack out of the blue and it killed all these innocent people and so now we have to go avenge it. I think that's obviously what they are trying to call to mind. But, hey, for people who know something about the real history of 9-11, all right, let's look at it from that perspective. So, for example, on 9-11, we were struck out of the blue by these dastardly terrorists, al Qaeda which I say advisedly because if people watch my five-and-a-half-hour documentary on the history of Al-Qaeda called False Flags, um, you will see that, yes, uh, it isn't just a, a witty epithet. No, there is some very, very real 
collusion and connection between right from the founding of Al-Qaeda right on up through its existence and its amazing ability to commit these spectacular terror attacks and the intelligence agencies like the CIA. Um, there's there's many, many connections there. Well, how about in the Israel's 9-11 context? So Hamas struck out of the blue. But wait, who is Hamas and where did they come from? As is openly and totally acknowledged, and no one denies this, Hamas was brought into existence with the support of Israel, who brought Hamas into existence as a countermeasure, as a way of, of trying to keep Yasser Arafat contained. Well, that worked stunningly, didn't it? And oh my God, who could have imagined now Hamas is this force that is capable of this incredible surprise attack? Who could have seen it coming? And we're already starting to see the ways that the establishment media is trying to process this spectacular intelligence failure, which, if it is to be taken at face value, truly is the biggest intelligence failure probably presumably in the history of the Israel state or at least since the 1973 war. Uh, it is incredible. How could this possibly, how could an operation like this have proceeded without somebody on the inside knowing about it in advance? Well, hmm, maybe that answers its own question, right? And there has been speculation and right now, I have no more access to any information than anyone else does out there. All I can do is take a look from the outside. But there has been speculation that this attack was known about and allowed to happen on purpose. Or you can imagine the many different possibilities uh, at any rate. But all we can say for sure is the reaction is generally where we find the real action. And what is the reaction to what is happening right now? Well, of course, obviously, this is carte blanche for the IDF to go in and start bombing Gaza and 2 million uh, civilians, including 50% of that population being children, um, to smithereens. Okay, so certainly there's that. But beyond that, uh, there was a growing, a large and growing protest movement in Israel that was centered around the Netanyahu government and the Likudniks and people fed up with um, the power grabs that Netanyahu was engaged in. There was, there was some deep division, very deep divisions going on in Israeli society. IDF members quitting or threatening to quit over presumed power grabs over the Israeli judiciary, etc. All of that is now swept under the rug. Everyone, of course, in times exactly America's 9-11, Israel's 9-11, same thing. Everyone rallies around the flag. And all of those people who hated George Bush suddenly loved George Bush. And all of those people who hated Netanyahu, we will rally around the flag, rah-rah Israel. So that is one aspect of this. Another aspect, of course, is uh, particularly worrying Again, exactly with 9-11 was the carte blanche for the uh, the Patriot Act and the, the complete obliteration of whatever was left of the Bill of Rights in the United States and knock-on effect throughout the world in the ongoing war of terror. Well, what are going to be the effects of this intelligence failure and who could have seen it coming? Um, actually, I think one of the most worrying aspects of this is one of the, the theories that has been floated in the establishment media as to why this spectacular failure happened is because the uh, because Hamas went dark. They weren't doing this online. They weren't doing this through digital communications. They weren't using their cell phones and, and fondle slabs and slave tracking devices to set this up. They were doing it in person-to-person, face-to-face meeting. So what will the... What, how will that narrative play out if that is the one that they run with? Will that mean, well, well, now we need even more intense surveillance and 
Who knows what kind of passive surveillance microphones and cameras and things will have to be installed in Gaza, obviously, but everywhere else around the world um, as the knock-on effect of this spectacular intelligence Pearl Harbor that just happened. Again, it's very early days and much is happening. It's a moving narrative, so I do not know which way this is going, but I could see the many ways this will play out eerily similarly to 9-11. It certainly seems like Netanyahu has been looking for an event like this for a while, and this will give him a blank check to go into Gaza and do what he sees fit. Uh, I think this is going to be a tragic event, obviously. Um, This is going to lead to, I think, a political and broader religious war. Um, With the Hamas naming their operation Al-Aqsa Flood, what do you think the Temple Mount and the Dome of the Rock has to do with Agenda 2030 and the more um, geopolitical timelines that you've spoken of in many of your videos? Well, we know that, for example, as in the American context, there are people, uh, American Zionists and others, who have um, grown attached to the apocalyptic viewpoint, the mindset that, well, Jesus is going to come back and rule over the planet as soon as things get really bad. And, you know, when Israel is being attacked by all its enemies and et cetera, et cetera, that is one reading of revelations and the other, um, the other apocalyptic texts that exist out there. Well, similarly, of course, in Zionism and Judaism and, and in Islam itself, there are many apocalyptic visions for the grand fight that is coming. And obviously they center around Jerusalem and the, uh, the Dome of the Rock and the Temple Mount and these incredibly contentious places where there has been the uneasy status quo for many, many, many decades now. And it is an uneasy status quo that is that ticking time bomb that could explode at any moment. And I would say similarly to the, for example, in the American context with the the American Zionists and, and others who latch onto those apocalyptic visions and then seek to bring them about so that they can bring about the end of the world. I think the people in positions of political and military power who are bringing these events about aren't necessarily true believers in that apocalyptic vision, at least in any sort of religious sense, but play on that and people's expectations of that for their own political and geo geostrategic purposes. I think we might have a similar situation where, again, it doesn't even matter if the political leaders themselves truly believe in all of this in a religious sense, as long as enough people do believe in it that they are willing to fight and kill and die for these beliefs, then that's good enough because that's all dictators and tyrants throughout history have ever wanted from their population is a population that doesn't have to march off to war at at the point of a gun, as in you, you either fight or you die. No, you want people who are motivated to fight and die for your cause, whatever cause that is, as long as it serves your geopolitical purposes. And I think there might be a similar thing going on here. Um, that's not to downplay the incredible importance of the this location and these these events for the people uh, in Israel and in occupied Palestine as well. Of course, this is an incredibly, really contentious issue. And uh, unfortunately, I think there are people who will play on that and will use that for their own political purposes. It seems like all of the characters are lining up for a World War III type event here. We have Iran and Russia allegedly supporting the Palestinian uprising. Um, We have the United States Navy sending the USS Liberty, I mean, the Gerald Ford out to the Mediterranean to monitor events. 
it really does seem like things could pop off quickly. How do you think that this is going to um, overflow to places in Europe um, with um, Ukraine kind of popping off? It seems like there's a lot of different battlegrounds where the U.S. is directly and indirectly fighting Russia. Is this going to spill over to Latvia, other places in Europe? Well, I fear becoming the boy who cried wolf because uh, people who really done the deep dive on CorbettReport.com will know that my second ever podcast episode was World War III Starts in Iran. So I've been talking about this for a very, very, very long time. And perhaps it sounds like the broken record or the boy who cried wolf. Um, oh, there he goes again talking about some World War III scenario. Um, I, I would just say that's because this is an unfolding uh, part of a much wider agenda that is coming closer and closer to reality. And I think people poo-poo and dismiss that at their own peril because uh, one aspect of, say, the build-up to World War II that might, might be difficult for people today to appreciate is that people had a decade-long um, build-up towards that war, two decades, really. But a lot of events happened and a lot of things were happening in that time frame and a lot of geopolitical events were taking place that didn't necessarily mean it was necessarily going to involve go into a world war scenario and people who suggested that might have been dismissed for a large section of say the 1930s oh you're just fear-mongering don't worry this isn't no 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 and then oh and then war breaks out and that is generally the way these things go and so i have seen i've been documenting and talking about and observing the fracturing of uh, geopolitical, the, the Pax Americana that I talked about earlier that pertain post-World War II, I've been watching and documenting the essentially the downfall of that order for the past decade and a half at CorporateReport.com, and I think this is the next stage in it. And I think the thing to, the way to conceptualize and understand this is that there isn't, it's not like there is one flashpoint here. There are many, many flashpoints. As you point out, the prospect, of course, of Iran. Uh, at least it has been floated by the Wall Street Journal in the past few days. It was Iran behind this attack, we tell ya, which interestingly seems to have already been poo-pooed, dismissed, and debunked by AP and others. So who knows what establishment narrative they're going to settle on. But if they bring Iran into this, then obviously that draws in the specter of, say, Russia, which draws in the specter of World War III, as I was talking about in my second ever podcast episode. But beyond that, there is the Ukraine situation, which Zelensky is still waving his arms desperately. Hey, guys, don't forget about us and the billions and billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars that we need to fight your proxy war. And don't worry, they're not going to forget about him. I think that's going to continue um, grinding out in that particular section of the meat grinder. And, and from my seat in the Asia-Pacific... The Taiwan issue is still pretty important, and the fact that they are running simulations and exercises and drills and even wargaming out potential, if China takes to Taiwan, what will happen on MSNBC as part of a joint exercise that they're running with the RAND Corporation for the entertainment of their viewers, question mark, and all of that craziness is still going on. It's not just one particular flashpoint. There are many, many, many that any particular one of them could be the thing that sets off the, the dominoes falling. But at any rate, it doesn't even matter which particular flashpoint it is, because there is clearly a World War III scenario developing between 
Russia, China, Iran, some sort of Axis resistance bloc, so-called, and the NATO powers on the other side. We know the battle lines are already forming, so it's just a question of what particular event will set it off. And I think this is incredibly worrying, and I, I've talked about this before, I will talk about it again in the future, but I think people dismiss this um, at, at their own peril. I don't think any of us, sad, sadly, I don't think any of us would be surprised if a nuclear weapon went off at this point in time. Um, things are moving so rapidly and we're trying to get ahead of it. One of the questions that I had prepared for you was, how do we know whether or not we are currently in a propaganda false flag type event? It seems like we have um, that uh, recent event as a case study in front of us. How can we um, prepare ourselves for the onslaught of misinformation that's going to be coming at us? I think, unfortunately, and this is unfortunate because it is an incredible lot of work and most people are not mentally equipped to handle it, but I think we have to take a thoroughgoing position of methodological skepticism about all information that we are receiving. And I know nobody wants to hear that once they understand what that means, because it does mean not just a lot of work, but ongoing and continual work for the rest of your life. And that methodological position of skepticism is to say, do not take any information at face value. Treat every piece of information that you're hearing as if it could be propaganda. It could be part of some sort of psyops influence campaign to get you to believe and thus to act in one way or another. And then once you take that position and you interrogate the information and find out, okay, so where is this information coming from? And can I verify this with other sources? Can I triangulate what is being said here? And how do I tie this into what I already know from my own lived personal experience to be true? And then uh, what, what else can I verify by, uh, by proxy, by people that I know and, and things that I can verify in other ways. And that means just constantly, constantly, you have to take everything not at face value, but you have to be looking under the hood of all information you receive from me and from every other source that you will ever receive information from. And as I say, no one wants to hear that because everyone would love if they could just go back to the, the beautiful, naive days of 1950s or whatever it is, whatever nirvana you have in your mind of where people just accepted whatever was happening and whatever the government said. And oh, OK, all right. Oh, what, what's today's news? Let's just read it in the newspaper. Oh, that's what happened in the world today. Well, we can't do that anymore. Um, at the very least, because, of course, as we now know, everything can be deep faked and everything can. But beyond that, because there is, I think, demonstrably and again. Don't take it at face value. Don't take my word for it. Do your own research. But I think, demonstrably, there is a coordinated global agenda towards steering humanity in the direction of essentially the total technocratic enslavement state. So, that being in mind, I think we have to take all information with a grain of salt. And we have to verify and research it for ourselves. Yeah, I agree 100%, James. And... You know, since we're talking about Israel, I've recently discovered the work of Ryan Dawson, and I've went down that rabbit hole, um, and I don't want to beat a dead horse. And I, the viewers, please go to CorbettReport.com and, and watch the documentaries. But I do, you know, when it, how much do you feel like, I mean, we know 9-11 is not what the mainstream tells us. I mean, we anyone who's got a brain knows this. But do you feel like, I mean, is it just Saudi Arabia, CIA? Or how much of a role do you think 
Israel played. I mean, according to like, I think it's Christopher Boland and Ryan Dawson, it's like 100% Israel played a role in that. You had the Israelis on the roof dancing and the, the moving company owner, I believe, was Mossad agent. There's, it's, it's blurry, but, and, and we have to speculate to a certain degree, but what are your thoughts there? I think, as I've always maintained, events like 9-11 do not happen for one purpose and one purpose only. And they benefit one particular group and that one group. An event of the size, of the magnitude of 9-11 does not happen because one group has an interest in it. It happens because a number of different players at the global power table come together over an event like that. And they can all benefit from it. So there is culpability to go around, and there is no doubt that Israel had a role in that operation to some extent. Um, whether even at the most charitable reading, no, 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 the Israeli spies, the documented spies that were in the United States and the spy rings that were being uncovered and talked about on Fox News even by Carl Cameron until his investigative series got squelched, um, they they were just following these hijackers around, these hijackers around and uh and 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 covering all aspects of everything that they were doing and where they were going and se seemingly in the same spots at all the same times just because they were keeping tabs on it and by that i i suppose you could make some sort of let it happen on purpose kind of um role for Mossad in that operation or it could be much much more deeper than that than that when you look at the neocons um in the populating the bush administration who in some cases, directly worked with the Israeli government um, in the drafting of the uh, clean break plans and others before they became project for a new American century card carrying neocons who were talking about how we need to basically gen up a war with Iraq. Um, so obviously there were Israeli interests at play and um, that benefited from the events of 9-11. So I think there is definitely culpability there. But then to say it's 100% and totally only Israel and only Israel was involved, and only Israel makes every other person in that plot who is demonstrably involved in that plot as just some sort of mindless automaton who is doing it for Israel. It's the Jewish space lasers controlling my brain narrative, which unfortunately makes it comic book nonsense. Um, no, there are many players at that table who all had an interest in it, and there were people in the American government and military and intelligence establishments, corporate establishments. There were people in the Saudi Arabian intelligence establishment who absolutely had a role in what was going on with those events as well. Um, British intelligence, you better believe, had some, some eye lines into that plot as well. Um, as I say, there were many players at that table, and I think trying to narrow it down to is one and only one reason becomes too limiting and ultimately leads to false conclusions. Yeah, um, certainly with 9-11, there's a lot to unpack there. And the intelligence community's role in this is, um, well, there's evidence to suggest that it was certainly Saudi Arabia, the U.S., and Israel as well. Um, to kind of change gears here, James, we had a couple questions for you um, on a variety of topics here. Um, I've got one for you in terms of propaganda. Uh, a lot of talking heads in the media are chatting about UFOs and dragging out all of these obscure videos of UFOs. Um, what, is, what is this operation? Um, it's obviously propaganda. What are they driving at? Why are they trying to push UFOs as the new thing? 
I would just direct people to my previous work on how to st- how to fake an alien invasion, where I laid out the um, this speculation. Again, it is all speculative at this point because, again, take every piece of information with a grain of salt. So, what can we trust with regards to an issue that is already populated with a lot of um, misinformation, even at the most charitable reading? But take it all with a grain of salt, and I speculate that there is a good deal of hiding. Um, U.S. and presumably other governments, um, secret military weapons development programs under the guise of the little green men from Mars. And I think there has been a large degree of that that has been seeded into um, the popular culture over the past three quarters of a century. Um, And look, I don't don't have some... I, I don't claim to know everything about everything in the universe. And could there be aliens uh, that visit planet Earth? Sure. I don't know. I don't have any direct experience of that. But at any rate, it certainly does make a convenient cover for um, un- undercover plans that uh, that are being worked on in the skunk works of the Pentagon and, and elsewhere. So that is that is where my mind tends to go with this. I can't prove what I have absolutely no recourse or access to. I know a lot of people have claimed to have had experiences with craft and what have you, but what are those craft and how do you know and where do they come from and what, how do they operate? Uh, again, there's just too many variables. But the one thing that we do know is that the U.S. government has lied to its citizens and the people of the world throughout its entire existence. And so I would tend to say if they're coming out with these disclosure hearings, you better believe there's some sort of ulterior motive to them. Yeah, what you said earlier on in that answer, you know, speculation, and I, I'm kicking myself for not naming this is the truth expedition, expedition, but I should have named it the speculation expedition because, you know, and I don't, I, I guess I want more of just your you to opine on the comments I'm about to make, but I don't even know what truth is anymore, you know, because from your home country of Canada, I believe it's the Ontario Mathematics Association just came out and said. Saying two plus two equals four, some white Western, you know, answer that marginalizes other possible answers. And now in California and Oregon, they're saying mathematics is racist. I mean, this is this, it's totally out of the a Marxist playbook, if you ask me, all this transgender, the demoralization, the dehumanization, the borders being open. Um, it, it, it all seems like, you know, it, it's insane. I don't know what the truth is anymore. Any, any comments on that? Yes. Uh, unfortunately, I think that this is actually a part of the, the larger agenda, is to completely deracinate people from any grasp of objective reality. Anything that you could have relied on as being true before, you now have to question. And as I said, that is the position of thoroughgoing methodological skepticism that we are forced to adopt after learning just how thoroughly we've been lied to our entire lives. But... That really does. That is the sort of the uncorking of the bottle, which has happened. At any rate, you can have a co- coherent society that can that can function and that can actually prosper even when there are people who come together around the core set of shared beliefs that con- constitute and comprise reality. And if they have some sort of approximation to the real world, then, hey, at least you're heading in the right direction and you can make some, some sort of progress. And I, I think that has been essentially eliminated, certainly in the past few years, but I'd say this is a decades-long process. And I recognize that the work of people like myself is part of this process. And that, unfortunately, I have found that people in the conspiratainment space get addicted to that feeling of 
tearing down the idols and the things that they used to believe, there is some sort of rush, some sort of almost like a, a sense of free, freedom or something when you you take something that is held to be reality and you throw it down. You know, you think you know the truth about 9-11. No, that's not true. You've been lied to. And people get addicted to that rush that they get from that that experience and they start almost chasing it like chasing the dragon. They want a hit. They want a bigger and bigger hit each time. So now they will start questioning and denying even more and more basic realities to the point where the literal punchline of your entire life up until the past few years has been, oh, you must be a member of the Flat Earth Society. Well, now people are like, all right, I am Flat Earth. Yay, I embrace that. And it will get crazier and crazier and crazier from here as people continue to chase that that rabbit right all the way down that rabbit hole. And what is the answer to that? Again, I don't I don't know, because as I say, I think we do need to practice methodological skepticism. But where where is the bottom of that rabbit hole? I mean, you could just plunge forever and ever and ever until you get to the point where essentially you are just completely in your own universe and you can't you don't believe anything in the world whatsoever. And I think that is kind of part of the point of where, where we're being thrust into, a point where the any potential opposition, people who in any other era of human history would be out on the streets in anger and protest and marching and doing something in the real world about this, are now all locked away in their room, staring at their screen, waiting for the next hit of, you. oh yeah, you think this is real? Well, it's not real, yay! And that has unfortunately replaced any sort of action in the real world in the minds of people. And people have, for, have become so de-rooted from actual action in the real world that people think that action in the real world is itself, oh, that's all an illusion, a parlor game. Don't, don't, don't try to do anything in the real world. No, man, man, just stare at your screen and look for the next person on the screen to tell you what's what. I tell you, that's the way to live life. So unfortunately, we are, as I say, the, the bottle's been uncorked, Pandora's box has been opened, whatever analogy you want to use, but it, um, it's not good. And I don't, I don't have some sort of pat answer for you here. Uh, I, I don't think there's a way to easily put that cork back in the bottle. And would we really want to? What kind of, I mean, you can cork the bottle by giving people a comforting delusion, um, a, a simulacrum of reality that that makes them feel comfortable, like the Pax Americana of, as I say, if some people idealize the 1950s American Americana, yay, you know, that was the ideal time. What, was it really? Well, I guess maybe if you were living in the suburbs in the U.S. or something, but for 99% of the global population, probably wasn't quite as ideal as as it was in your head. Um, so what is the point of a delusion like that, a shared collective delusion? Anyway, this, I mean, this gets down to the existential roots of the matter. And I, unfortunately, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be the talking head on the screen that's going to put all those pieces together for you. I'm, I'm afraid people are going to have to do that for themselves. James, let's go down another rabbit hole here. Let's talk about climate change um, and not the CO2 kind. Let's talk about the weakening magnetosphere. And what are your thoughts on what might happen during a polar shift? Do you think there's going to be a calamitous event, earth crustal displacement, or a non-event? What are your thoughts on that? Good question. And this will have to be the last one because I'm going to have to get going. But um, I would say that this, uh, like so many other things that we talk about and think about, I think that this too, this idea has been seeded into the public imagination by no, no, no shortage of Hollywood 
conditioning and propaganda that has been forced down our gullets uh, for the past few decades. And people might remember there was that apocalyptic turn in a lot of um, uh, Hollywood movie making in the late 90s going into the 2000s um, with... Um, uh, Wow, I'm so glad I forget the names of these. I know there was one called Deep Impact. There was the other one that was more popular with the Aerosmith song. <laughs> anyway, I forget all of this Hollywood programming, thankfully. Um, but there was a lot of like, oh, asteroids are going to come and destroy the Earth. Um, we've seen 2012 and movies like that. And talking about these big, disastrous, uh, cosmic events that are going to come and completely upend the earth and what have you. And I think that idea has been seeded into the public consciousness. And then I take a look at things like the Adam and Eve story, which, oh my God, man, have you heard about this? In the CIA archives, they have this secret document that talks about how the pole shift is going to happen and kill everyone and blah, blah, blah. And, oh, wait, you mean the CIA reading room where they publish all of these books and things that they've collected in the source, in the course of whatever investigations they've ever done, and they put it out there, and people say it's the CIA's secret document, man, when it is certainly not. And they, they, I think they actually feed into that confusion on purpose so that, oh my God, it's the CIA's secret stash of information that they put up online. Um, and that, that videos like that get millions of views and we all start talking about the pull shift. So all that being said, I think that there, that is at least one potential explanation for what I was alluding to earlier with this seeming timetable agenda headlong rush to the end that we seem to be in, not just with the 2024 IHR amendments and the pandemic treaty, but 2030 agenda, and not just the 2030 Sustainable Development Goals and the UN 2030, but there's a lot of different national governments that have set various 2030 deadlines. Could they be talking about some kind of polar shift type of event? And, and as Yuval Noah Harari talked about in a book that I recently reviewed, um, he was talking about the idea of the technological arc that will save the, 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 the supreme advanced elitists um, or that they believe will save them from whatever calamity is coming climate or otherwise it's all possibilities and i again i'm sorry i'm not going to be able to speculate or opine beyond just saying well it's a possibility and i don't know i i don't know how i would personally prepare for that because given the way that it's described and the types of things that we that could be in store hey who knows the next the great Carrington event could take place in the near future. They're talking about the sun's uh, magnetic poles that are about to flip uh, again, which is part of its 11-year cycle, so nothing new there. But there, I've noticed more sort of seeding of that into regular normie establishment news as, hey guys, you know, look at what the sun is doing. And are, again, could that be another part of like faking an alien invasion where they're seeding this into the public consciousness so that they can then set off an EMP and say, oh, it was the sun, I tell you. Again, there's, there's no end to the amount of speculation that can be happening here. The only thing that I keep coming back to is, okay, well, it, it could be. So what's my role in this? What can I as an individual do about this? And I would say the, the sort of general advice is just to be prepared in the things that you can, to be self-sufficient in the things that you can reasonably be self-sufficient in, to have a community of like-minded people, uh, that doesn't mean, of course, that you have to agree on everything and you have to have these litmus purity tests of what do you think about this issue and what do you think about that issue, but just people in the real world, in your local community that you know and can work with in the event of a real calamity or emergency. But beyond that, 
what can we do? What, what should we be preparing for or, or spending all of our time working on with regards to this? We just have to be prepared for anything that comes. And then whatever happens, well, we'll either be prepared for it or not. Yeah. And, you know, no matter what happens, James, we can count on Yuval Harari to have drugs and computer games for us. So <laughs> we'll, we'll have that to look forward to. And, you know, this has been, this has been incredible and to talk to you, James. I've watched thousands, hundreds, and I'm telling everyone, please, my goal in having the show and having James here is not so much this conversation right now, but you need to go to CorbettReport.com, Corbett with two T's, report.com. You need to tell everyone to go there and you need to share his work because this, the method, methodical way in which he presents the, the facts, if there are facts, is something that's worth sharing. And I can't thank you enough, James. I appreciate you having me on, and I appreciate every single person, yourself and, and everyone else who's out there just putting their voices out there trying to understand this world. I think it's not going to come from me or you or any uh, other individual. It's going to come from all of us out there talking and discussing things and learning how to talk and discuss about things, even if we disagree with each other. And so I uh, hats off to you and everyone else who's having these types of conversations. Well, thanks for that, and thanks for tuning in to The Truth Expedition. Don't tread on me and don't shed on me.